This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, uh, running a little behind on this week's episode. This is episode 20 for us, and I've got a pretty good reason. I've been waiting for this to happen all season. Had a pretty successful Sunday evening hunt, and we usually do all the final editing on on Sunday evenings for a Monday morning release. Well, hunted public land this weekend, paddled in by Piro, and hunted a ridgeline in, some, uh, in a flooded palmetto swamp bottom which is very fitting for this week's episode and ended up killing three hogs and uh so that was a bit bit of an adventure getting those out and took a little bit of time to get them back to the truck and home and cleaned and just put me behind so everybody that's looking forward to this on monday morning my apologies uh like i said and good reason for it but uh regardless we are going to be talking just about that on this week's episode we're talking about swamp hunting and uh ironically enough hunting in water so this is going to be focused more towards our south louisiana audience um we've been getting a lot of requests from you know how to hunt floton how to hunt palmetto bottoms how to hunt cypress sloughs and tupelo woods where you know you don't feel like there's a difference between hunting this tree or a tree 100 yards away what do you do how do you target the deer and uh, what's your approach. So this is going to be a great episode for us and very informative. But before we get started, as usual, we got to give a big thank you to the two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. Cousin Smokehouse is running a deal right now where they have gift boxes on their website, personalized gift boxes of pork jerky that you can mail people. They'll mail it on your behalf. Go to CousinSmokehouse.com, get a personalized Christmas gift for someone that you love. 
perfect gift for the deer hunter, for the fisherman, for the outdoorsman, or just the jerky lover in your family. And also Steve German's Taxidermy Art, they're the only taxidermist in the state that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into Louisiana by teaming up with Ty's Taxidermy in Vider, Texas, a drop-off point for you to not have to cape out your deer and not have to deal with all the CWD regulations of bringing deer back into the state. They take care of all of that for you. So check out Steve German's Taxidermy Art at stevegermans.com. Well, let's get on to this week's episode. All right, guys, on today's episode, we are on the phone with Greg Gravois out of Thibodeau, Louisiana, and we're going to be talking about two things that y'all have been asking for for quite a while. Number one is a little bit of a mid-season update on South Louisiana. You could call it maybe like uh, the coastal area, marsh, swamp deer types, uh, type of terrain, and then we're going to dive heavier into how to hunt palmetto swamps, flooded timber, water, uh, Tupelo and Cypress areas and things like that because there's, you know, w- you can almost cut the state in half. You got your Oak Flat and Piney Woods hunters that are probably around the midway part of the state and north, and then you've got people that are hunting in South Louisiana with a bow that nothing but uh, floton, marsh, and swamp, and palmetto, and and uh, we're going to be talking with Greg today on on kind of how to approach that. So, Greg, thanks for joining us on this week's show. No problem, man. I'm, I'm humbled to be uh, asked to be on the show. Yeah, no problem, man. So you're uh, before we started recording, your wife was rib jabbing you a little bit. What did you say? I'm important. They want to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, you know, she beats me down so much sometimes. Every now and then, I got to throw a jab in. To make, you know. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> well, well, we appreciate you having uh, having the time to join us tonight, man. Um, so, first of all, you know, a couple of things we can start with. Number one, you are a, a converted traditional bow hunter, right? Um, yep. How long ago did you switch to the trad bow? Around 99, 1999, 2000, I started. Um, it's funny, you know, when I started, I started about that time. I was shooting a compound bow, and I started hunting hogs. Mm-hmm. And I lost the hog because I was no penetration. And so I'm like, you know, I got to find a cut on contact and something just, I don't know. I might've been looking for magazines or something. I saw a traditional bow hunter. I saw a picture of a guy with a hog and I'm like, they can kill a hog <laughs> with a traditional bow. I want to know what broadheads, because if I put them on my compound, they're going to rip right through everything. Yeah. And so that's what I did, you know, um, found some traditional heads and then i had the magazine just started looking at the magazine looking at the magazine looking at the magazine and i went hunting one time in the marsh and i was and i just went through some brush and i just thought oh my god oh my god my my sights and then i I got to the tree and i'm like those guys ain't gotta mess with that or worry about something breaking so yeah i'm gonna give it a shot you know and that's that's really what started the interest you know and then just went went from there you know that's awesome. You stuck with it for 18 years now, almost 20 years, huh? Yeah, it's uh when you say it like that, it's been a <laughs> long ride, you been know. Been a minute. Well, yeah, yeah. so have uh have you ever had any any regrets or any thoughts of going back or anything like that? Well, anybody that converts the first I was highly successful the first year. Mm-hmm. The first year I killed I got me a bow and Probably it was February. I got a bow and then before the hunting season, I'd killed four pigs. And then that hunting season, I killed five deer. 
And so I'm like, man, nine, you know, nine animals. And I didn't lose this anything. Is nothing. I was, like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is easy, right? Yeah. But, um, but if I look back in total, those five shots on the deer, they were no more than 35 yards total. Every shot was five to seven yards. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just, yeah. So, um, but as I kept hunting, this time's when I came to the camp and wanted to wrap that bull around a tree. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, I mean, I had a 15-yard shot at a 10-point Mississippi one time, and I hit it in the ear. Mm. You know? The, the deer was running off with the arrow clanking in his antlers. I mean, I was just... So it's uh it's a process, you know, and still to today, if you know, as 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 kids get older and you get busy with work, if you don't put in the time practicing, you still have those same moments when you're like, What am I doing? I mean, this is Yeah. This is um it's it's a it's a continuous process that you can't ever you can't ever but it's not like riding a bike. No, no, it's not. You do lose it. You have to stay honed and sharpened in your skills because you know, that bow becomes an extension of you. Uh, it's like another limb, you know, uh, part of your body. And, and if you don't exercise that thing, then uh, it's almost like it falls off. You know, and, you know, 18 years ago, I was a lot different physically than I am now. You know, so if I don't shoot for a few days, I feel it. I feel the bow. Because mm-hmm. in today's world, the bow I'm shooting right now is 56 pounds. And in the traditional world, that's on the heavier side yeah it is a lot of people are under 50 and i have no intentions i don't i want to be 70 shooting 56 pounds i don't want to shoot under 50 which is stupid because people are very successful Corey bailey kills everything all over the world with 47 pounds elk bear yeah yeah oh yeah you name it world he class white so tails yeah i gotta get over that eventually but my point is i mean i have to uh, make an effort to shoot and to and to train to be ready for this. It's so hard to do that. I try not to leave anything that I can control. Yeah. Um, done. I mean, it's going to happen. Things are going to happen. A deer's not going to go out of deer come. This is one of the only times last year I had a buck come within probably three yards of my stand. I didn't get a shot. I'm like, how does that happen? It doesn't happen with a traditional bow rarely does that happen that's like a yeah and it uh just when i tried to stop him he didn't stop and then when he stopped at a bad shot and then he walked straight away mm. so um but i try to uh, shoot as much as i can because if you don't you will quickly 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 uh want to give it up it's tough it, it is tough and you know i was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago about staying practice during the season and I think a few podcasts, podcast episodes ago, I, I talked about just a couple of things that I'm kind of self-conscious of on, with myself. And, you know, we hear these horror stories about people that hunt all season long and they finally get a, a, a nice deer that they want to shoot and they shoot and f- soars over their back or goes under their belly or, or something like that. And then they, you know, they start blaming the equipment and they get back to the camp and, you know, their bow's shooting six inches high at 30 yards or it's shooting four inches low at 20 yards. And, you know, like, like you said earlier, your sight, your sight, you didn't want it to get bumped on the way into the stand. And if that happened, you know, who knows where it would ain't, where it would go. So what I started doing years ago is I would have an arrow that was in my quiver that was just a field point. 
and uh, and I would before if if I was making a morning hunt, if I climbed down around ten or eleven o'clock, I'd I'd pick a leaf on the ground at twenty or thirty yards, and I'd shoot my bow because that might be the only time that I shoot my compound that whole week. And the reason why is because once your compound's dialed in and you get your form under control and you're feeling confident in your ability to put an arrow where it needs to go, shooting your bow is not that fun anymore. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, just, I mean, I, well, that's one thing with traditional archery. It, it's still, fun. it's, it is it's still fun. It it's fun is. until you miss and then it's not fun at all. Well, but, yeah, you start to fall apart after a couple, after maybe 10, 15, 20 shots, or maybe more than that, you, you start to unravel a little bit and you get tired and your form, uh, collapses and, um, and you start, start getting real inaccurate. But up until that point, it's, it's, it's fun to shoot your trad bow because it's truly, it's you putting those arrows there, not the equipment. You know, you're, yep. it's like the difference between driving an automatic and driving a stick shift, you know? Yeah. But you know, I have been, I have been in the state of helplessness in a stand with zero arrows left in my quiver. Yeah. So I will never put an arrow in my quiver with a field point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Every, if you, it, you know, and it's not, you, and you know, I carry four arrows, but there's several times I've shot all four arrows. Just if you hunting pigs, oh, yeah. that happens. If you hunt, if you hunt deer, um, one of my best hunts ever, I ended up with zero arrows in my quiver because <laughs> I shot a pig, I shot a deer and the, uh, one, one deer was two shots and then I shot another deer. So, uh, I ended up with a That's arrow, uh, with a quiver empty and, Another deer, another deer, I mean, I couldn't shoot it anyway, but another deer came by and it's just a, it's a different feeling when you're in a tree and you don't have any more arrows. You're right. It is a feeling of helplessness. Yeah. And it's, it kind of, kind of makes you wonder like all the preparation that you take to get to your stand and be sent free and practice and, and climb up. Or if you're on public land or a new area on your lease, you know, where you had to hang a stand and all that stuff. Why would you, why would you? leave yourself so vulnerable to uh to not be a hundred percent prepared for that moment you know yeah uh, you're right not like what i actually um did this year is a couple times that i put as i put one in my pocket like a um, judo point in my pocket mm-hmm. so if i knew nothing was happening i'd unscrew a broadhead screw the judo and shot it yep. you know i did that that way one, I wasn't sacrificing a, a spot for a broadhead, and then I still got the advantage of shooting with a, it. You know, with traditional bows at, at the very beginning, July 1st was the last time I'd shoot from the ground historically because mm-hmm. I had a tree in my yard with a with a ladder stand. So from July on, I would just shoot out the tree because it's some it's it's a little different. Yeah. You, you know, so um, but this the tree died this year. Mm. So I am ready to sell my house. <laughs> you know, I gotta get a, I gotta get a house with a tree in the yard so I can practice from an elevated position. You know, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, so so you started hunting trad bow trad bows in '99, um, and uh, now you've hunted all over the all over the country with your bow. You said Connecticut earlier, Kansas and Missouri, and a couple other places like that. Um, but you still, you still hunt heavily here down in South Louisiana, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody 
you know, we would all like to um, do a, a, a grand tour of the Midwest and hunt different ruts. Yeah. What's unique about what's unique about Louisiana and what I what I was attempting to do is hunt different ruts. You know, you can go you can go the last week in October, first week in November, and hunt the Midwest, and then you can come back to Louisiana beginning of December. You know, some places in the marsh, some places in the marsh in September are rutting not far from where I live. In St. Yeah. Mary Parish, in some places, you know, they chasing in September beginning of october yeah so that's one unique thing about where we live is you can hunt if you travel just a little bit you can hunt into february and hit ruts yeah. all over you know absolutely so so um that's what my intent was when i started going and it's um but as we get older and we have kids and you got to stay around you, you, there's more stuff you know responsibilities you it's nice to have a place close. Yeah. And I have a place that, that's got good deer. It's just difficult. Yeah. Well, h- how's your season been so far this year? So far this year, I think it's a makeup year for the last couple of years. So I've, I have tagged out on all my antlerless. I've shot three, three of my antlerless and my either sex. I filled my either sex with a doe, which, is, which I was very nervous because I did it uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like... This is pretty early to shoot <laughs> either sex, but then when I think back historically, I've never killed six deer. I've never killed, you know, three bucks in a year in Louisiana. So yeah. um, I said, well, this may be my year, you know. And, you know, it cycles sometimes where where you won't kill anything one year for no no reason, and the next year everywhere you go you see bucks. Well, this year I've I've been fortunate and I've always had does by me i haven't haven't had any counters with bucks yet but um, that's 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 very parallel with with a lot of my seasons i was hunting area six and area four uh primarily for the past five or six years and um i would go into the season with a game plan of i'm going to kill all my does before december or christmas and then i'm going to hunt or kill my kill my three does before then if i could and then I was going to hunt bucks the rest of the season just because of how late of a rut we have, you know. Um, right. In fact, last year, last year was the first year that I ever killed a buck before Christmas with my bow. And, uh, you know, those area six bucks are early season. They're not walking around like that. You know, you might. Right. It, right. Once, once they break out of velvet and their bachelor groups, I mean, it's like they live in an underground tunnel. You know, um, and so just my cycle at years and years of hunting that area, I was hunting my does first, never even had the thought of potentially shooting a buck before the middle of December in, in those areas. And then, um, kind of, you know, hopefully filling my freezer with doe meat and then, uh, hunting the bucks after, after Christmas time and, and hunting that rut. And then I, then does were off limits. Of course, it's like walking bait. Um, but, uh, last year was the first year I ever killed a buck before November. I shot it with, um, I had, you know, I, I, last year was, uh, my first year shooting all traditional. I didn't, I didn't pick up a compound all, at all last season. And uh, I shot, it was a really nice, it should have been an eight point. It was, a, he was a seven point, um, only because his right brow time was broken off. 
and uh, he was uh, 16 inches inside spread, and I, I have no idea what he measured. He was kind of a, maybe a, a little bit larger than average basket rack, uh, eight point, and oh, seven point, and shot him at 12 yards with a um, super shrew. I had a, a super shrew, 58 inches. It was 54 pounds at 50, 58 inches long, 28 inch uh, draw, 54 pounds or something like that. I love that. I love that bow, man. There's there is uh, when you've got a deer at that close of proximity and you don't have sights to depend on it. Um, it is the true definition of, of instinctive. I mean, it, like I said, the bow becomes an extension of you. It is no longer a, a tool in, in used in the harvesting of an animal. It is, it is like a, another, it's like an appendage essentially where your brain starts thinking through the weapon if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you know, it's, yeah, it, when it, when it, when it's right, that is exactly how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, if you're not confident, if you're not confident or that bow is not like I've went through a bunch of different, uh, different bows. And if you don't get that grip, right. Yeah. You can be confident in the world and you don't grip it right in that moment. Or for where I've had a lot of trouble is that deer's on a trail and this is where I'm going to shoot him. And he's going to that spot and everything's right. And all of a sudden that deer does something different. Yeah. And all of a sudden my mind is not in a systematic or it's not mechanical about the shot. Yeah. Right? My mind, my process is all of a sudden changed and oh, I don't know when I'm going to get a shot. And then boom, there's my shot and my process. It can't is, keep up. It yeah. has to be accelerated. And then I, that's where I've, screwed up in the past yeah you know, it's um it's difficult i mean you know it's difficult to uh you want to plan and say this is where he's gonna be and this is where i'm gonna shoot and it don't happen and all of a sudden everything goes out the out the uh, <laughs> window yeah. and you gotta rely on your confidence right yeah and so if you're not shooting the repetition you're not, yeah or if you if you're not if that bows too much for you you're gonna struggle in that moment yeah absolutely well, that, you know, that, that buck that I shot last year, I remember it, uh, came out. I mean, you know how these deer are, man, they just freaking morph out of thin air. It's like they have a portal that all of a sudden they're just 20 yards from you, you know, never, never heard it. Never, never saw it walking up, but just like, bam, 20 yards. I'm a deer. I'm standing 10, 15 yards from you. And, um, it was walking, it was, uh, it was at about my 10 o'clock and it was walking to my left. And, um, I remember I did a, a podcast with David DeLucci, uh, maybe 10 episodes ago or so. And he was talking about, um, he was talking about, uh, whispering to your deer, trying to get them to go a certain way. Like, like, Oh, go to your right. Or I just need you to take three steps to the left or, you know, keep coming this way or something like that. And I remember doing that to this deer and I was like, I just need you to come to that spot and then and then just turn a little bit to your right. <laughs> he was on my left. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. he was yeah, it's yeah. like it's like remote control, you know, deer. And uh he came he came at my ten o'clock and there was a point in which he didn't follow the game plan. He he kept quartering to me. You know, and a quartering two shot is like one of the worst shots you can take. It's one of the least 
the least successful ones as far as you know getting good vitals and a clean pass through and finding your deer and so he's quartering yep. to me and he keeps getting closer and closer to my stand to where the shot's more and more vertical and he's not broadside and and so I remember looking at that deer and I was like, man, if I'm going to shoot this deer, I'm going to have to put this broadhead in between the shoulder blade and his neck. And uh, I'm not an instinctive shooter. I am a gap shooter. Um, I, I just, I, I haven't, I don't have that relationship with my bow yet where I can look at a spot on a target and hit it. I need a point of reference. I need um, some logistical inputs as far as relationship between arrow point and that target to where, you know, okay, this is it. This is where I need to aim. And that was one of the few shots I've ever made where I was watching this deer get closer and closer. And I was like, if I'm going to kill this deer, the only way that arrow is going to hit anything good is if I put it in between his, uh, the base of his neck and his shoulder blade. And I'll be damned if I didn't hit him right there. And it was, Hi, that's good. That's you when know, it works right, right. And that was, you know, I don't know if I could have done it again. In fact, it was it was such an odd shot placement for the angle that I was at that when I f- took my picture with the deer, um, it looked as if I had shot him in the neck, like through the neck, you know, like broad, broad <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. broadside through the neck. But the reality was, was that arrow was sticking out of um, the back of his belly uh, like behind his back, left, back, right rib. And, uh, and so, you know, the, that's the thing. If anybody's, you know, listening and wondering where you should shoot a deer as far as shot, shot placement goes, you're aiming for the exit. That's what you're aiming for. The entrance isn't that important. The exit and what it hits on the way through is what is, what's going to kill him. And so, Absolutely. If, so if you have a really shitty angle where you have, like if that exit is only going to be nothing but guts and you're going might not catch even the back of a lung, you should probably let it walk or figure out how to take a shot really far forward without catching, catching the front shoulder blade or that leg. Um, and you know, that shot that I took was a low percentage shot. It, it was, you know, it worked out for me that time, but I, I can't say I probably would have taken the same shot with a compound, you know. If, well, of course, if I don't have a compound, you'd have been dead 15 yards further back, too. But Right, right. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, that was probably one of the few times I've ever had in a truly instinctive moment. And and when I say instinctive, what I mean is I, I wasn't thinking about the mechanics of the bow. I wasn't thinking about my draw. I wasn't thinking about an aiming point. All I saw on that deer was the spot I had to hit. And all of a sudden, my arrow is released and the deer's running off and he crashes 75 yards away, you know. Um, and so that was, it's it's almost like this, uh, it's almost like this blackout point in a way where you don't really remember the whole thing, but you, you accomplish what you had to the way you needed to. You yeah, know? Absolutely. So, yep. um you know, so I mean, we uh, we haven't talked too too much about traditional bow hunting here in a, in probably ten or fifteen episodes. Uh, you know, Harmon's a trad bow hunter. Warren Womack's a trad bow hunter. Um, I've done it. I, I got extremely frustrated with it. I told people last year. I said the only way that I'm going to go back to a compound is if I miss the deer of a lifetime, and it happened twice on public land. I missed what is uh, undoubtedly a 170 class deer on public land 
two Sundays in a row. And the second the time, same deer, same deer, same deer, same deer. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's one of the few times where like, it's one of the few times I've ever seen a deer and, um, like, uh, my brain just like can't compute, you know, you can't count, you lose the ability to count. Uh, I have no idea how many points it had in the moment. I got a video of it. The, the e- I got two videos of it the evening that I saw it the second time. And um, both of the both of the encounters I had with it were at 35 yards. And uh, you, you want to talk about wrapping your bow around a tree or kicking yourself or making a stupid decision. Hunt public land and hunt a 170 and have it be at 35 yards away um, and not be able to do anything about it, you know. So, um, but the biggest, the biggest deer I've ever killed was 37 yards. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'll shoot and I'm comfortable with it. Um, the, the problem that I, I, I have to make my shot mechanical Mm -hmm. because when they're that close, like you're talking about 12 yards or even closer, I killed. I killed two of them this year, probably at, at three steps. And I, I don't know that I get all the way back. Cause I'm like, well, they that close. Yeah. 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 You know, that's, that's close enough. And close enough is not, is not good enough. No, right. Not at, not at 30 <laughs> so, yards, 30 plus yards. No, no. And then in, in my times, I'm getting back to that, that, that buck, the times in my career when I've really, wanted to wrap my bows when i draw back i was in i was in nebraska and i had the rack wasn't that big but it had to be 250 pound i'd shot i'd killed the doe and here's this buck come walking up the hill and he's got to be 250 pounds and he's and he's i'm thinking 15 18 yards and i draw back and i said raise up a little bit because his body's so big you probably think he's closer mm-hmm. and i hit him in the back strap and <laughs> oh, he yeah. runs off with my arrow hung up under his skin slapping him on the ass so oh. uh that the times when you doubt yourself and it and it doesn't work is is um very trying <laughs> yeah know? but the but the one i did kill it was 37 steps and i drew back and i said shoot a little higher and I picked up a little bit and I was lucky. I hit that. I guess it's the renal kidney artery, renal artery or whatever, mm-hmm. right under the spine. And he didn't go, he didn't go 12 yards and flop down. Nice. But I hit higher than my, my initial response wanted to, because I said, no, make a conscious, you know, I made a conscious decision to pick up a little bit. Yeah. Though that those bother you when you just don't trust yourself, but yeah. So what what um uh, what bow are you shooting now? Right now I got a I I like a sharp a sharp bow. I guess it's my time hunting in the marsh and tripods and trying to or actually stalking hogs and if you if you're just walking around stalking and you gotta hide, you I struggled at first I had like a sixty two inch recurve, which is not not a long bow, not long bow but a, a large and lengthwise bow yeah at all but my and then i went to a 56 inch black widow and i got this 54 inch long bow it's a it's a tolkien mm-hmm. it's called a pika uh and i really like it 
so far. It's a two piece and um it shoots it's the same strung up it's the same as the fifty six inch recurve that I had been shooting. So um so far so good. Fifty four you know? inch, that's a short, short longbow. It is a short longbow. Really short longbow. But I, yep. Yeah, I had a yep. I, my super shrew was I can't I really can't remember if it was fifty six or fifty eight inches. Um, I had a, uh, I had it, uh, <laughs> I was taking a friend of mine, I was taking a friend of mine bow hunting one day and he showed up at my house and I had to take a, a scent free shower real quick before we rolled out and he's a trad bow hunter and his name's Garrett Ramsey and I'm just going to call him out cause he blew up my bow, but, uh, he, <laughs> he, he over, overdrew it and, uh, I came outside and it was snapped in half and. He was white as a ghost and, of course, felt bad. It could have happened to me. It could have happened to him, anybody. But um, anyway, I love that bow. That was the bow that I killed that, that seven point with last year. And then uh, and then I got a uh, a Striker Deluxe Coca-Cola Classic um, single-piece, one-piece bow. And uh, I like, you know, that, that Tolkien that you have and the Super Shrews and um, – the uh like java man and um uh, trying to think of some other ones striker those are all like forward grip bows they have a real low grip to them you know um and and like anybody listening if you've ever shot any bear bow b-e-a-r like fred bear bow they're all a high risk grip i hate that i i I cannot stand a high wrist grip that like pointing forward type of right. grip. I like Absolutely. a I like a long bow, very low, you know, not a lot of pressure on the palm of my hand uh type of grip. In fact, in fact, if if Howard Hill style bows were more attractive and not so damn long, I'd probably just shoot that cuz I like that <laughs> that that low and flat of a of a of a grip personally. But um anyway, um so I bought a Shiker Classic Coca-Cola Deluxe or whatever it's called after that uh, shrew blew up. Well, Greg, I don't know if you've ever had a piece of equipment that was cursed or not, but this bow was cursed. Okay. <laughs> and when I say cursed, I mean I hunted with that bow for a month and a half. almost like Yeah, pro- almost a month and a half, almost to the end of Jan- or the middle of January. I got it at the beginning of December. And to the middle of January, and I never saw a freaking deer when I had that bow with me, <laughs> not one. And other and before and prior to that, I'd already killed. I killed a I killed a really nice hog, and I killed a doe, and then I killed that buck. So for my first year of trad bow hunting, killing three animals by halfway point of the season wasn't bad. Well, right, right, dude. I got this super shrew in, and I don't know if if like a voodoo queen put a curse on it or something but i literally i believe this thing was cursed so much that i sold it i got rid of it i was like i i can't do this i'm not gonna go this whole season without seeing a freaking deer this bow needs to go and (laughs) (laughs) and i have a i have a friend of mine named uh jared babin who um i mean he kills mountain lions and 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 mountain goats and and uh udads and all sorts of you know mule deer also all over the country and he loves Louisiana bow hunter he has a mossy oak bottomland Louisiana bow hunter hat and we have this joke about 
he hasn't killed anything in his in his Louisiana bow hunter hat yet, and he's had it for like three years. And uh, every once in a while, I'll get a text from him. He's like, "Hey man, hunted Colorado last week." <laughs> wore my hat for four days, didn't see shit. Left it at camp and put on a you know old beater hat and killed a <laughs> one sixty mule deer. Right? Something. Hey, you know that's funny, but so back you know I was in at at Nichols in probably ninety one or ninety two, and it was <laughs> they had the Colonel's Retreat at the time was a bar and it was a hol- you know Halloween masquerade or something. Yeah, and it was pay pay one price, and so I'm out there. And, uh, you know, having a good time, and I looked down and there's this, this uh, like, I guess a Sabuni hat or whatever, camouflage hat. So I picked it up and I still hunt with that hat. Yeah. Actually, I went, I went to Wyoming. It's been all over the country. I killed bear in Canada with it, you know, same kind of deal. So I went to Wyoming and it was falling apart. And my buddy, uh, my buddy's wife, um, said I'll sew it because she could sew it up. So, um, I started I started texting him like, "Hey, dude, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, <laughs> I need the hat back. I need my hat. I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen anything. You know, I need kind of need my lucky hat. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's, it's funny. The I thing. killed one, but when I got it back, I started right knocking them down pretty good. So it's funny my... the things that that give you confidence. You know, that's right. Uh, and 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 it's amazing how important confidence is because, you know, I I think as far as like, uh, you know stand positioning or, or, you know, hunting, if you've got a 10 acre block that you're hunting or something like that, and you want to hunt this tree and you climb up and you don't feel that confidence. So you climb down and climb another one, that little, that little stuff matters, you know? Absolutely. And yeah, especially I mean, with, especially with a trad bow where there's no sights or nothing to rely on. You, you're you, relying on. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be on, on the yourself. X. So you gotta feel good about yourself. You know, when that, when it comes because because you can't fool the little man inside you no you can't i mean i can fool you and say oh, i'm good you know but that little that little voice in your head knows if you if you're ready to hunt or not yeah you know? well when uh i was on the phone with Harmon a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about how amazing it feels when you pick the exact tree in all of the woods that the deer are going to walk within 10 yards of, you know, and, uh, you know, when you're hunting with a traditional bow, your, your range is so limited, you know, 20, 25 yard max. And so if you work back for backwards from that, everything really does come down to, to how good you are at selecting a tree, because there's nothing more frustrating than having a deer just slightly out of range. You know, that's probably, that might be the only thing worse than shooting all your arrows and and having an empty quiver, you know. Because, yeah. You know. Well, be- you got to put it in perspective too. If you're on public land and you go and you see deer, you've done well, right? Exactly. Now, if it's a place you know and they're always out of range, then then I'll agree. But you know, uh, I guess I'm a goal oriented. If I go on public land and I see deer and they just out of range, that's good. But yeah. you know, I. But to your point, I have been in the woods and said this decision right now and i'm looking i'm 10 yard, i'm look, talking about a 10 yard decision if i get in this tree or this tree will determine whether i kill today mm-hmm. i have absolutely been in that moment and it has absolutely happened <laughs> where yeah. but i got in that tree that other tree i'd have killed you know so uh well, so, so it's th- all it's all relative to how your season's going too if you hadn't 
you hadn't killed any and then it's just out of range you get more aggravated whereas if you killed a few well it's not that big a deal you know yeah well like this season i've been hunting public land a lot and i've gone back to my compound and the i have a a a new struggle now and that was you know when i was um when i was hunting with a traditional bow it was this uh, accepted handicap um it was like okay i know i have a 20 yard range there's no reason for me to hunt a quote unquote observation stand or to hunt anything open i'm going to pigeonhole myself into a single option hunt Okay, they're either going to come this way or they're not coming from anywhere, right? And um, and so I remember this interesting dynamic last season of um, being highly handicapped but also highly confident because I put a hell of a lot more thought into exact positioning of where I was going to hang my stand. And now that I've got like a 40, 50, I mean, if I can shoot, if I can shoot 45 yards in every direction, then I can shoot, then, then I can cover a a 90 yard piece of woods. Right. And so because of that, you're, you, you start looking into larger, more open areas that provide you what we consider to be a greater chance of seeing something and maybe uh, more opportunities to get a shot. Well, the um, the catch twenty two with that is that deer are generally not going to walk through the wide ass open and feel vulnerable. They like that thick stuff. They like the thicket. They like the um, the uh, you know the briars and the horsetail and the palmettos and um, there you know people think that a deer takes the path least traveled. That's not true at all. <laughs> they might do that in a place that they have no pressure whatsoever. But you know when you're walking through the woods and you're down on your hands and knees trying to get through a thick area and it's covered in deer tracks, that'll prove to you they're not trying to take the shortest, fastest way somewhere. You know they're, right. they're yep, trying they're right. they're trying to find how you know you know let's think of it like this and and this is fresh in my brain because i had to do this last night imagine you check into a hotel and the fastest way to get to the little uh, where your hotel room is is across the parking lot wide in the open but it's raining okay are you going to go straight through the parking lot in the rain and get wet the whole time because it's quote unquote faster? Or are you going to seek out a covered route that's, that's going to get you there safely and dry. Right. And, uh, I remember I was checking, I'm in Orlando right now for a conference. And, um, in fact, I was going to say something earlier about that. I didn't know if that was, uh, uh, sirens on my end of the line or your end of the line. I don't know, but I had what sounded like, 10 police cars go by my hotel a little while ago. So anybody listening that heard that, I apologize. But, um, so yesterday I I checked into my hotel and it was pouring rain and he said, well, you can go this way through the parking lot and be there in two minutes, or you can go through the whole building and this is covered the whole way. And so if we kind of use that analogy, as far as the deer woods, the big wide open areas would be the raining parking lot, right? It's going to be, it's going to be the way that the deer, we think they're going to go that way because it's quote unquote easier to walk, but um, that's not where a deer is going to walk freely and, and be, um, you know, not feel vulnerable. And so they're going to go through the covered route. Even if it takes longer, deer doesn't have a time limit. 
You know, they're not on a schedule. Uh, they don't have anywhere they have to be by a certain time. So they're going to go the way that ensures that they live as long as they can. You know, That's right. So for me this year, hunting a compound, it's been a new challenge where I have this like tug of war inside where I'm like, well, okay, you know, you need to hunt tighter places because that's where the deer are, but you want to be able to afford more shot opportunities by being able to see further slash shoot further. And, um, and so it's this inner turmoil that I've got when trying to select a stand, you know? So, um, you know, there, there's, there is a silver lining to traditional bow hunting. And that's the fact that in its own really messed up way, it makes things, it it get, provides you more clarity, but it just makes things a little more challenging, you know? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, uh, I've got, I got an Acadian woods bow this year. I, I think, uh, I told you Tim Mullins and his uh, great nephew, Sean again, Sarsic are, are cranking up and they're producing bows probably faster and more frequently than they ever have. Um, and, uh, so I picked up a, a three piece carbon tree stick from them. It's a phenomenal bow. I haven't gotten to hunt with it yet this year. Cause I've been moving, I've been taking on a new position at work i'm traveling all over the country it's kind of been down a, a down year for me as far as tree stand time but um it's, I, I need to kill one more deer with my compound to kind of cover me for the year on meat and then i'm going to go back to the trad bow and just uh scrape it out the rest of the year i've killed that. killed a lot of deer with in hogs with tree stick yeah with uh tim's but that was one of the first bows i got yeah He's the first nine animals I killed would, was one of his classic recurves. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's awesome. I, I'm. I'm. I was really happy to to hear them being cranked up, cranked backed up again. Because, um, you know, I know he went through uh, through a real uh, down period with uh, production and being able to keep up with the orders and stuff. But uh, that's all changed. They got all that straightened out, and they're they're cranking them out now. So. Yep. Um, I mean, Bill's a great bow too. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Well, um, so let's give us a little bit of a recap of your season so far in Louisiana. What, you know, what have you been seeing? What have your hunts been, been like? Things like that. So, so the particular swamp that I hunt, everything was fine until I guess it was September when it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. Mm -hmm. And so the water's been, um, abnormally high where, um, where we hunt like you know um so it's uh been different the sign in the swamp in the particular swamp the area that i hunt is um it's a lot it's not been there it's just i put cameras where i got videos because i put i'll put cameras on trails you know and just not getting activity um like I have in years past. So, um, I actually put some cameras, um, on the levees and I was getting more action on the levees and, you know, I put some, some brand on the levees and all of a sudden, you know, there was one point where I would put a sack of brand and the next day it was gone. Mm. There was, there was so many deer coming. And I think, I think a little bit of the high water had something to do with that. So, um, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been successful everywhere I went until I, until I started, um, hunting the swamp mm-hmm. and I've struggled. 
I've struggled. This is the best I've ever done, and it may be the high water pushed them in. But um, so if you, I can give you a little history about where I I started initially in this swamp, and it was on there was a a palmetto ridge through through a cypress tupelo predominant swamp. Mm-hmm. And it was some great big oaks. You couldn't wrap your hands around them, and that was when I just started traditional bow and it was the best place in the world to start start with a traditional bow because the deer were on the ridge and they were the ridge wasn't real thick the canopy was such that it didn't let the palmettos take over and i saw deer 90 percent of my hunts nice and they and i had one tree that they loved so of the 90 percent of the hunts that i saw deer probably 75 80 percent of the time they came in range if i wanted to shoot them you know yeah so um but then a hurricane came and changed all that and then we we created a club which which i went from hunting by myself to hunting with other people and and so the pressure changed not that over pressure or anything but i'm 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 personally somewhat sensitive to that because I'm trying to hunt with a, a longbow. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's different. So, um, that all changed. And when I started having a attempt to hunt the swamp, or even when I still was hunting there, I, I was, had all this swamp and they had deer all over it. But how do you hunt flat open swamp? I mean, it just, I, I couldn't figure it out. I really, and I still struggle with, like, because it's not like there's any, when you say a ridge, does that mean the ridge is, the water's six inches deep versus a foot and a half, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, some of the guys I hunt with have been hunting a long time, and, you know, my friend Rob Stevens, he's like, yeah, I just hunt the little flat ridges. Well, what the hell's a flat ridge? I don't know what a flat ridge is. <laughs> So, That's an oxymoron you know, if I've ever heard one, you know. I'm thinking it's going to be out the out the water, and it's not out the water. So, so what I would, so what I started to do is cameras helped me out. Is that I was walking almost a half mile in, and I was catching the very back of the ridge. But I would walk, and I would come across this trail, and two or three years I would pass this trail, and one day there was a there was a, there was a big willow, and it was always dry ground. And one day I noticed the palmetto was all half dead. And I looked and I never realized that a buck would rub a palmetto, right? Hmm. Like, I don't know. They would just rub it like they rubbed a cypress tree or something else. And then one year there was a branch falling. Boom, there's the scrape there. So, man, I said, this is, this doesn't look like anything different than what I've been walking through for the last quarter of a mile. Why this? So I put a camera there. And I had five or six different bucks on this trail. So all of a sudden, I said, well, these trails through the Pythene, th- that water was somewhat it's, it's somewhat shallower than the rest. So um, I hunted there, man. I started seeing deer. So um, it, it's, it's been a challenge. But even though I see them, don't mean I can kill them, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> they can come from anywhere. It's not like if you go to the Midwest – or somewhere they're bedding here they're feeding here yeah and it's 
it's so clean. It's such an easy, I think if you can be successful in the Louisiana swamps, I don't care if it's really with a gun. If you, if you successful year after year hunting, I think you can kill deer anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely anywhere. Cause to go for any person that put some time into hunting and is successful in Louisiana to go to the Midwest and kill, kill deer. Not, I'm not talking about a, a giant because even when you go to the Midwest, your mind is still trained for Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I would go to Nebraska and, um, you know, I never thought to hunt water, never thought to hunt a water source because in over here, <laughs> we, you know, <laughs> yeah, the whole state's a water source, water everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So you go up there and it, so, so, um, it's, it's been a challenge. Uh, to be honest with you, I've, I've struggled. I hadn't killed, I killed, um, just a couple of bucks over that time in this swamp that I'm hunting. I caught, I killed, I killed a nice eight point and then, um, maybe a couple spikes, but I've not been successful killing bucks in this swamp. Yeah. Yet. 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 Yeah. She's still after right. it though. So, yeah. So, so. So I obtained access to a different property where I'm pretty much by myself in the swamp, right? The high land, the landowner hunts, but the, the lower part I can hunt by myself. Yeah. First year I saw several good bucks, right? And I'm like, this is golden, right? But uh, so last year, this is about my, I don't know, fourth or fifth year, but last year I just didn't, I had one encounter with a, with a probably two and a half year old rack buck, a little eight point, but it's not there. I said something, something changed, right? <laughs> because the pressure, I control that. <clears throat> so this year I did it. I'm doing a few things different. One, um, I got rid of my pro drive and got an outboard, which the high water helps. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm going to have to clean, I'm going to have to clean the canals to be able to get back there, but I got a four stroke to try to eliminate some noise. Yeah, absolutely. And a P-Rog has not left, a P-Rog has not left my boat. Even in the canal, I'm pulling up parking and I'm paddling to where I got to go. Yeah. Cause so, so the only things that I've done different this year than the very first year the first year no one was hunting in there. And then if I would put, I started noticing if I would walk in a little bit with some brand, I would get all kind of pictures uh-huh. and then I'd put some more brand and they would get all kind of pain. And then the more I put next thing, you know, I'm walking and they got deer tracks in my trail Yeah, and then I'm not getting the pictures anymore. So I'm making an effort this year to reduce the number of, um, I'm calling them touches, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, reduce the number of times that a deer walks by and says, Whoa, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I've got, I put cameras out in some spots, um, in the beginning of October, cause I'm bucks only, you know, I'm in area nine. Yeah. And I've only, I've only checked them once. Ah, really? So, oh yeah. So I'm going to go in, I'm hunting tomorrow morning in a spot. I have not been all year this year. Nice. So I know they pass there. I'm I'm just trying to get a little more organized in this uh, yeah. this year more than others, and I'm trying to eliminate anything that I can control 
to see. I know it's me, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the bucks are there. How, how, how right? many how many acres are you hunting? I don't have any idea. I really don't. I mean, it's it's enough for me to be able to. If there's a if there's any kind of west wind, I don't hunt it at all. I go hunt somewhere else. Any kind of if a southeast or northeast east, I, I'll hunt it because the canal, all the properties on the on the east side of the canal, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't hunt with a west wind. Any kind of west wind, I'll go somewhere else. I'll leave it alone. And I've always done that. I really have always done that, but but there's some really good bucks. But I I saw some the first year, and then I got where I would get them on camera. I'd get them on camera in the daylight, but I wouldn't see them. Yeah. So it's it's got to be me. So you, you're not feeding out there anymore then, huh? Um. Well, so this year what I did is I'm not feeding anything in Terrio. You know, I'm staying on the exterior uh-huh. and, and by default this year, I am on the north side of the property and I'm just feeding on that levee, mm-hmm. right? So what I'm hoping is if they walk in south, they will, I'm trying to be organized about anything I do. Yeah. And yeah. so I won't, I won't tell you if it works until later, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Very, uh... <laughs> but, I, but I know I had to do something different. Yeah, you know, just being very because... deliberate about your actions, you know, and very strategic. Um, yeah, the the reason why I ask you how many acres you're hunting is because um, there uh, there is a extreme level of self consciousness when um, you start to see the correlation between the way the deer are reacting before you are coming in too much and then after. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, I'm tell like almost to a point of paranoia where you feel like everything's your fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean? so this year there was, I, I, it just by default, I found this one little area, right. Mm-hmm. And I put a camera there and then foo, 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 there's all kind of deer. And there's a little video trail through the private and it don't look like as many deer past there to do. Right. So, um, this year I went in there, couldn't see the trail, put the camera Right. I checked it one time and that one time, the very first, the very first, like it was maybe a day after I put the camera, the same two does I would get all year last year. I got it on video. She walks up and she stops, smells and I'm not there. Right. (laughs) It's just my camera. Yep. And she freaks out. Yep. And she looks at the camera. She's smelling it and looks around and turns around. I'm like, dude, this is a day after I've been there. She smelled my camera. It's crazy. You know? Yeah. So, so, um, little things like that, I just started adding up because I don't think there would be anything more gratifying than killing a solid buck in that type of swamp. Yeah. Just, just now, and I'm fortunate that the swamp, this little one section I'm in is some is higher than some of the other swamp, but that I can, that I can hunt, but still it's, um, it's been very frustrating for me that, that, that I can't, I mean, I would, I try to learn from anyone, right? Rob, which you, you know, thought it, you know, and he's, he's giving me pointers and all, but you have to do, you have to take every little step you can to eliminate the touches to, like for this particular property that I know, like 
to this day, I hadn't been on there and in the interior in probably a month where I'm going to hunt tomorrow. I hadn't probably been in a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm confident that they're not going to be, they're not going to be scared to walk in the middle of the day. Like you were talking about earlier, you're not going to walk in the wide open where these deer have no reason not to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they, cause, cause outside, like in, in this interior of this property, I haven't been. So, um, and I, and I'm, but that gets back to what we were talking about of confidence too. Like I'm excited to go tomorrow because I know I hadn't been there. Mm-hmm. I know there's trails that pass there. A buddy of mine killed, I brought somebody with me and he, he shot a low eight point last year there. And I, I purposely tried to eliminate the amount of pressure just because I've been so unsuccessful in the past yeah <laughs> you know he he doing a podcast on how to hunt the swamp and you're talking to somebody that's not been that successful but, <laughs> but right. it's a struggle right it, yeah it is it absolutely is man and um you know it, it right before we started recording on tonight's episode we were talking about you know what what are, what are we looking for why are we going to hunt this tree when the tree 30 yards away looks the same and the tree 80 yards from there looks the same. You know, why this palmetto flat, why this tree, why this Oak Oak tree, why this trail, even if you're lucky enough to have a trail on the swamp, you know? Um, and, um, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to hunting water, hunting, hunting in standing water, no matter how deep it is, it could be three inches, could be eight inches or two feet, it's one of my favorite things, and the reason why is because I do feel as if um, you probably have more experience in this than I do. I do feel as if deer typically are a little more relaxed when they're walking in water um, because they're they it's hard for things to sneak up on them. Right. Um, right. You know, like you, like you can walk through wet leaves and you can walk up on a deer within 50 yards and they'll freak out and bolt because they didn't hear you walk up. And then all of a sudden you're staring eye to eye with them a couple yards away. Well, in the water, that typically doesn't happen. Anything that walks through the water, human, uh, coyote, uh, other deer, anything like that. That, you know, one of a deer's major defense systems is it's hearing, um, yep. and, and hearing first smell and then, um, and then eyesight, you know, and so they don't have to rely on their eyesight for, uh, giveaways as to, uh, for threats that they're, they're relying on, um, on their, uh, on their hearing and their sense of smell. And so, you know, I love to, to hunt water because, they're at as much of a disadvantage as we are when we're walking. You know, they give themselves away when they walk through also. Um, and I have typically had more action in relatively shallow water areas than I do in other more open dry spots, I feel. I feel as if they feel, as, like I said, water is kind of like this this safety area in a sense. Um, and, uh, you know, I've killed a couple of deer in sand and water. The only thing that's really hard about deer hunting and water is tracking them right because you don't get the blood trails a lot of times that you get on uh you know dry ground now if you there's no blood trail no blood trail you're <laughs> lucky you're lucky if you get spray on palmettos um right you know but at the same time 
you do get a mud trail. You get you know you get bubbles and kick up and you know uh, it's the you're f- trying to find that teeter point between how long you should let it lie and die and getting on it relatively quickly so that you have some sort of indication of the direction that it went. You know, yeah, that's when you got to constant. That's when your shots you got to limit your shots to to the highly highly confident. Where you know there's no no way you're gonna miss that you know absolutely because you can't you can't take a shot that you hoping you get and plan on finding it <laughs> you know yeah it, it ain't gonna happen. I shot one this year that I just knew when I hit it I said that deer ain't gonna but it was two other deer with it so you listen them to a run off or it's not like you hear a splash because they got two other deer running off with it yeah. And I knew I drilled her, but I hit that opposite. It was quartering away a little bit, and my my broadhead hit that opposite um, knuckle on the uh, opposite shoulder, and it didn't didn't have any any blood at all. And I mean, I found her just because I thought so. Well, that sounded somewhat like a bigger splash, and that mm-hmm. would be about that would be about as far as she can go with the hit I made, right? So. I walked, Rob and I walked and we were looking around. I said, there ain't no way she went this far. And when I turned around, she was right there. Yeah. So, um, I got lucky and found her, and I had made a excellent shot, you know? Yeah. So it, uh, it's definitely puts a different dimension on your decision on, on your shot. It does. As well. Yeah. It makes you a little more self-conscious about, you know, shot placement and not rushing it, making sure that you're, uh, you're putting it where it needs to go and, and making sure that you're, you know, really shutting down the, uh, right. the, the factory inside, you know, it's, so you're not having to track 500 yards in the water. That's, that's impossible sometimes, you know? Right. So, um, so when you're, when you're going into a new area, um, for, uh, you know, hunting the swamp, it could be a palmetto swamp. It could be just some flooded timber or something like that. What, what are you thinking about as far as, you know, where the, you know, why would a deer be coming through here? Are you trying to hunt the outer edges of, of thickets, hoping they're going to come through the water? Are you trying to hunt maybe some feed tree, little (laughs) islands or something like that? What are you looking for? I guess it would depend on the makeup of the swamp Mm -hmm. because the swamp that when I, when you say Cypress Tupelo swamp, that can mean different things just in the state, right? Even in, in the coastal parishes, swamp is, is a lot different. So, uh, particularly in just me hunting in general, I like to find oak trees or where to eat. Right. So if, if I know, you know, this is where they're eating, I like to hunt there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but on a open, on a open swamp where you feel, absolutely lost but you have to hunt there because <laughs> this is the only place you have to hunt yeah right if i'm gonna boat if i'm gonna pick one area or if i could you list me 10 habitats with a traditional boat to go hunt cypress tupelo swamp would be the 10th and i don't give a shit what you say <laughs> the other nine are yeah right because 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 they can bed anywhere they can eat everywhere with the water they got these little they got all kind of floating stuff they eat they eat moss they eat you know, they got to, I mean, they, 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 they live and they thrive in this stuff that, that 
we can't see what they see yeah. <laughs> as far as, as the difference. So, so when I'm in that case, when I'm in a lost case, I, I try to find, hopefully there's some pyphene grass where you could see the trails through it. Yeah. And I just hunt the trails. Pyphene. I don't think I've ever heard that word. What does pyphene grass look like? I don't know. It's that, that yellow, yellow swamp grass. Oh, that's what it is. So, uh, <laughs> that's know, what I call it. You know, you know what I call that stuff? We call that, huh. we call that pepper grass. Uh, pepper. You had an old crawfish. <laughs> I got some friends that are listening to this that are laughing right now. Cause, uh, cause it's an inside joke. So I had, a um, uh, yeah, that shit's everywhere. I, ha- I had a crawfisherman in Sherburn tell me that was called peppergrass once. And this guy was, uh, we'll just say, not uh, society's finest. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. And, uh, and so he could have been totally full of shit. But he called it peppergrass, and so yeah, I know what you're talking about. That that uh, it's the yellowish, greenish yeah. grass that is like yep. in every in every wide open spot in the marsh. I mean, in the swamp that that that's uh, like just it's just everywhere, you know. Yeah, but but no, if they got that grass there, the water's not that deep. That's right. That's exactly right. And so. Uh, you know, I remember this crawfisherman. I was running some traps uh, a couple of years ago in the basin, and it was in some flooded timber. It was springtime, and um, and this crawfisherman in like a you know old raspy Marlboro red voice. He was like, "Man, you find that pepper grass, you find a crawfish." <laughs> <laughs> and Did so, it work? He, uh, he was probably that, right. The dude probably knew what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's like, "Bro, you gotta find that pepper grass." <laughs> and he points at that yellow shit, and I was like, oh, "I guess that's called pepper grass." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, anyway, me and my friends at Chris and Ben Berard, we've been laughing about pepper grass ever since because we're talking about you know he. They're talking about hunting the swamp, and he's like, "Man, the deer and the pepper grass." <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you <know>? right. <laughs> and so, because you know, no, no, nothing eats that shit. But uh, you know, you can, you can, you're right. You see trails through it, so you call it pyphene. Okay, that's yeah, yeah. That's what I always. But you know, they will eat. They have that little stem that comes up. They yeah. will clean those stems up. I have seen them. I have seen them bite. Not the blade of grass itself. They'll have a little, a skinny ass stem that comes up. Yep. I guess with new sprouts. Yep. And they will grab that. What I guess, and they'll they'll pull it. You can hear them, just like if you grabbed it and pulled it. It sounded just like that. And they would they were eating just the stems, not those leaves. So yeah. <laughs> that pepper grass. <laughs> yeah, the pepper grass. So all right, so so but you're exactly right. That's a great point. Where you see that stuff, you know the water's not that deep right there. That's correct. Um, and and also, you know, if it's early season, it's not flooding yet, flooded yet. That's generally your indication of higher ground, right? Um, whereas you know you're not going to see uh, pyphene in submerged water, you know, underwater eight months out of the year. You know, if it's submerged it's not going to be but for a couple of weeks at a time and then the water is going to recede and it's going to go back to being high ground again. I um, wish that I wish that was the case. It's not you don't not swamp. Oh. It's it's flooded all the time. Really? Okay. Oh yeah, it doesn't it's not a 
doesn't ha- it doesn't um it gets just deeper that's it <laughs> it gets low like some of the 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 area that i have to myself will get uh where i can wear knee boots and sometimes it's dry and you can actually see prints in the mud mm-hmm. but the the other part is it 90 percent of the time there's at least ankle deep water well I mean, but i'm i'm talking like it's not under the surface of the water like, oh no 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 it's yeah it's always out the water but yeah it's not uh i'm talking about there's no dry land at all ever gotcha okay um yeah it's so you know regardless that's still you know shallower yep. water than you know yep. a foot yep. foot foot and a half deep something like that because right. you know nothing like that no dry land veg- vegetation can grow underwater consistently you know yep. um yep. it's got to have you know that those blades of grass have got to be up above the water line to get sunlight and nutrients and all that stuff so so it can grow but um all right so so a lot of times like when i'm hunting i remember when i was uh when i was growing up my grandfather would would he would tell a story about how um, he was from New Orleans and how when uh, he was looking to build houses, he would go walk the surrounding properties around the neighborhood. He wanted to build a house or have a have a place to, to move to. And, and if there were palmettos anywhere, he'd pretty much <laughs> he'd like, no, I'm not building here. Oh, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This, yeah. This plant taxonomy, pl- plant understanding what plants indicate. For this case, water depth. Yeah, you know, makes an absolute difference once you once you. Um, it just gives you some more education on trying to put puzzles together. Absolutely, there's there is a little floating. I even took a picture, and I think I was told it's like some kind of little cabbage that floats. Mm-hmm. It would float in this slough, and then I would come, and then all of they were all chopped off and ate you know really so so yeah so understanding um you know that a a palmetto a palmetto in the swamp that we hunt indicates higher ground yeah right so you get you walking through the swamp and there's nothing not even the pyphene grass and all of a sudden you see a palmetto then you see another palmetto well that's a little in some people's case that's a little flat ridge because they make a line and yep it's higher ground and the and damn if the deer don't follow that, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, <clears throat> you know, I learned a lot a couple of years ago. I was in between jobs and, and, um, I did what you talked about before where the traditional was making observatory hunts is just say, hey, I never been over here. Let me go see. And you learn a lot like that. You don't kill. So you don't kill today, but so what? Cause you learn something about, tomorrow or the next day or the next day that can help you yeah you know so i kind of i've done that in this new property saying let me just sit right here and see what happens yeah you know because <clears throat> i um yeah i plan to hunt the property more than one year right <laughs> so i don't have to kill i want to kill this year i absolutely want to kill every time i'm going to i plan to kill every time i go in the woods but but if I take away something and learn something either about the property or the terrain or how to do something, it's still been a successful hunt because when I tell you I felt 
I still feel lost trying to bow hunt the swamp. I don't, it doesn't matter if I got a traditional bow or whatever. Still getting into any bow range. If I get 35 yards, I'm still happy in some cases just because they can go wherever they want. Yeah. You go in the Midwest, they're going to follow a tree line or, or a ditch bank or, or you know, um, it's so much easier to pattern in other habitats than than what we're talking about tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups on that, that, you know, they talk about hunting the Midwest or hunting agriculture fields and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, they, they have a whole different set of problems than we have. Um, you know, they – you got people. You got people that are. Uh, I've seen posts where people will go and take a refrigerator box and cut out a silhouette silhouette shape of a deer, and they will walk behind it down a field edge just so that it won't spook the deer in the field while they're walking to their stand. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like right. I mean, we've never freaking had to do that before. Uh-uh. Never, never has our problem been that we can see too far. You know what I mean? Or yep. the, the deer can see too far. Um, you got you got people that uh, you know were are planting corn and soybeans in the Midwest that they've got a whitetail heaven or whitetail haven the the early part of the season, but once the crops get cut, they don't have a deer on their property. I don't mean that they don't see a deer on their property. I mean that there is not a deer left on 500 acres. They are all gone. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah, that's right. They go somewhere else. You know, they go to wherever the thick woods are because 498 acres of that 500 is ag field, and those two acres are wooded, and there's no way to sneak into two acres surrounded by open cornfield, um, you know, in the middle of the day to make a hunt in the evening. And so, uh, you know, we've got a unique set of problems, challenges, I guess is a better way to say it, in the state of Louisiana. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we've talked a little bit on the podcast is, is supplemental feeding. And, you know, some people, it's like anything else in the world. Some people are all for it. Some people are all against it. Um, I would make the case that if there's any place where you would, I think, absolutely, without a doubt, supplemental feed and maybe not have a very successful season without it it's in south louisiana it's in (laughs) it's in the swamp it's in the the marsh it is in the 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 part of the state where you know deer are bedding at a five in a five foot circle that is the only place for a mile that doesn't have water around it around the willow tree you know and and so if you can throw like you said a bag of uh, rice bran out on the levee, or rice bran out under under a uh, under a, a small patch of high ground. That might be your only chance of drawing deer in, because otherwise you have a hundred acres of barren woods <laughs> where every tree is just as good as the one next to it to hunt. Right, as right. As- and what I'm and what I'm hoping this year is if I <clears throat> they don't have to come to the spot in the daylight that I'm putting. I don't care if they're there in, at night or all night. What I'm hoping they dare to is if it's daylight at six o'clock, let them be there at five forty-five or five thirty, and say, "Oh, it's daylight. Let me walk away." And then, so, but if I know they're there, that gives me one piece of the puzzle that I haven't had in the past is knowing where they are because they could be anywhere in the swamp. Yeah. Right. So, um, that's my attempt 
for this year is to is to at least to minimize my intrusions mm-hmm. is to minimize me putting feed just randomly at least i'm gonna have i'm gonna basically have two spots and 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 i don't care if they're there in the daylight because uh, i'm not gonna hunt it yeah. i'm doing that more so i would know where they are and i can catch them leaving or catch them come and check it mm-hmm. on the outside but but having some plan because me just going and saying there was trails here let me see where they at today don't work yeah. <clears throat> do you what i've when you're, when you're patterning deer like that, do you uh, do you run your cameras on video mode or you d- do picture mode? Dude, eight eight fifty pounds of brand overnight, it'll burn up batteries on video. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but on so I put them on trails. I put it on video just because I like I want it clear. I've got some pictures of deer, and it's kind of blurry because they walking or trotting or something but i'm they on trails i put them on video and if i'm on feed i put them on still photos yeah well at least at least on video mode you'll get a little better indication of which way they're coming from and kind of how they're moving how yep. you know how quickly they're moving how slowly they're moving something like that um because uh, that's something that i've got a lot of friends that they they feed they supplemental feed and um but they never hunt the, they never hunt the feeder um, and so, he, you know, he does the same thing. He's trying to pick them off as they leave or pick them off as they're going to the feed because deer, deer have this, this circle of vulnerability, uh, in their minds. I think where they know, they, they know that it's a trap, right? They know that the feeder is unnatural, but you know, it, it, it's, it's their inner instinct to, to feed and to, eat food as easily as possible and if that's a you know consistently provided food source they're going to go to it they're just going to be extra cautious as they get closer to it well maybe 50 or 100 yards away is where they're staging up you know maybe that's where they're they're hanging out you're downwind and trying to trying to gauge what's going on at that feeder before they just you know blindly walk up to it Um, I, i tried the feeder on this ridge and the very first time I shot at a doe and before the arrow was halfway to her, she was, she had dropped a foot and was gone. And I'm like, this ain't going to work. You know, I never killed a deer under high, a feeder over there. Too high alert, huh? Well, they just, they, because you have to go in, because you have to go in or, or maybe I was going in too much, to check the camera or, or just to go in and fill it. Like if, if I had to feed, I would get the biggest feeder I could possibly put and not go back yeah <laughs> and just go once every couple weeks or or something and hunt it but but i'm i'm attempting this method where <clears throat> i can go in and check my camera i ain't got to worry about them being there at night you know or during the daylight that much because i'm not trying to hunt it yeah. so I, I like this so far i'm i'm happy with with doing it this way good well uh Man, let's let's uh let's start to wrap this up, man. You you got any other pieces of advice for us or anything else you, you want to talk about before we we uh shut her down? Oh man, I'm I'm I don't I don't I wish I had uh golden nuggets that could help people. You know, <laughs> but right. but uh I struggle just like 
just like everyone, you know? Yeah. Now, one of the things we didn't talk about is, um, is uh, stands and stand location. Are, are you hanging your stand preseason or are you hunting mobily and, and setting up the day of the hunt? <clears throat> so initially I was mobily, I was setting up. I like the lone wolf. I like the hook, the hook system. I, it's so easy to set up the hook I system. Use, yeah. The, you know, the lone wolf, you can, you can strap the hook to the tree and then hook the stand mm. on it. Yep. Love that. Love that. It's cause it's easy. To me, that's the easiest system to put up. You yeah. Know? So I, I did that in the past, um, but I'm getting older. So I had I had aluminum ladders made, and I'm slowly as I'm got to make I put them out, and but I haven't I haven't hunted in one yet this year. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you just hanging them so, and not hunting them, huh? I'm I'm hanging them, but I'm um. I'm still consciously not locking into that. Like I, I feel like I did last year, mm-hmm. you know, last year I hunted them, but I didn't see any bucks, but they on trails. I get pictures in the cameras. So they there. So I'm trying to be very cautious about how I do use them. Cause I don't want them to be like a feed site where they get in that area and they, they assume they're about to get shot at. Or, yeah. yeah, or yeah. looking for you or smelling you or something, you know, I want, I am, I am much better shot when I'm shooting a, a, a very relaxed deer versus, versus a cautious deer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all I got for you, man. Uh, you, we got a lot of good information out of you and, uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, a lot of people are going to be able to relate to, the area and the style of hunting and some of the, some of the struggles that you have down in, uh, down hunting in water in the swamp. And, struggles are real, huh? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, everybody's got a different approach and, um, you know, there's no one perfect way to bow hunt. There's no one right way or one wrong way. Um, you know, the thing on this podcast is I just, you know, you've been doing this for 25, 30 years, been bow hunting probably longer than that maybe. And, uh, you know, so that maybe <laughs> there's, uh, maybe there's some, um, you know, misery loves company type thing going on where, you know, it's, it's a little refreshing that you don't have it all figured out. That makes me feel better. <laughs> well, look, the you day, know? the day we become an expert is the day we stop learning. Yeah. Right. My dad, my dad had a old guy built him a, a Cypress boat. And I was, I was a kid when he told us this and uh, I'll never forget it. And he said, you know, when he was in fifth grade, his parents took him out of school to, to pick moss. Right. So he couldn't, wasn't a good, great reading, writing, but he could build a really good Cypress boat. And he says, you know, I never cut my feet. I never cut my finger with this saw until the day I became an expert. Hmm. And you think about it and that will, that will, that applies to every aspect of your life. Yeah. Whether it's your, well, anything, whether it's your job you get lazy with or bow hunting you get lazy with or shooting your bow or when, that's a, that's when a great we point. think we have it figured out is when we can stop learning. So yeah. I try to learn from, from anybody that I can pick up that hunts in the same, the same situations as I do. Yeah. Well, I've got, you know, I've, I've said a couple of times on the podcast that, 
you know, bow hunting isn't something that you get good at. It's just something you get less bad at over time. Right, right. You know, you never actually get good at suck bow less. Hunting. Yeah, you just you start to suck less than you did last year, hopefully. You know. Uh eat a few less shit sandwiches, you know. So um uh, well look, Van, I appreciate you being on the show tonight and uh and uh and doing this with us. We learned a lot and and uh, covered a topic a lot of people have been asking about and um I think it's gonna be a good one, a popular episode. So I appreciate it, Greg. Ah, uh, no problem, man. Anytime. Well, uh, good luck on your hunt tomorrow morning. Let me know how you do, all right? All right, man. Thanks. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout-out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.